Hey everybody, it's Arlen. It is Wednesday, September 23rd. This is your first million. Back with a brand new episode. I know I've been putting out a lot of content lately and it's because I enjoy this so much. Have so many people I want you to hear from and I believe that in every single episode there are gems to pull out. I hope you have your notebooks ready. I hope you keep a, a Your First Million notebook just for these gems because this is why I do it. I learn so much in these conversations and I want to pass that on to the listeners and that means you. And so I will keep doing this as long as on the daily basis, you all keep sending me information about how much you enjoy it and how helpful it is, because that's what happens today. Just so proud of this product, your first million, and uh, we'll keep going. So today, I speak with Jennifer Neundorfer. She is from a venture capital fund called January Ventures, and she has some great information for founders, um, especially when it comes to like getting in touch with her. But also, we talk about when it when is not an appropriate time to talk to investors and when when do you hang on to your own equity and your own destiny and when do you decide to bring in partners and uh, how can that road look and there's no right or wrong answer really it's just there are pros and cons to both and we want to make sure that everybody knows those so this one is really for the founders out there or the aspiring founders also for the investors there's a message that jennifer has for investors that we really want you to hear and i think you'll enjoy this episode a lot So let me know what you think. Get in touch. Arlen was here on Instagram or Twitter. That's A-R-L-A-N-W-A-S-H-E-R-E. And yeah, I mean, you know, the last thing I'll say is that a lot of people have been asking me because I appear on a lot of things and um, with my hoodie on and then other people have their hoodies on. They're like, how do I get that it's about damn time hoodie or T-shirt? For so long, for for almost a year, people had been asking to be able to buy the, sh- the shirt or the hoodie. They were only available, when they were made available, they were only available for free for book launch members. And that has come and gone. So now you can purchase this at itsaboutdamntime.com slash merch. Itsaboutdamntime.com slash merch. So stop what you're doing. Go to that website right now. Pick up a t-shirt. Pick up a hoodie for you or your friend, and uh, we're going into the fall and winter here in the U.S., um, rock that, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a, a good time, they're very comfortable, I'm wearing mine right now, they're very nicely fitting, they, they do run a little large, so I would suggest that you, um, you purchase a, a, a size uh, one smaller than, no, what am I saying, yes, one smaller than you normally do, um, however, you know, you might have to play around with it a little bit. It depends on how you like it to fall on you. Um, I have an XL, and I always wear XL hoodies, and I love the way it fits on me. Um, I just noticed that sometimes people want theirs to fit a little bit more snug, and so uh, because it does not shrink in the wash, you might want to go one size smaller. So that's itsaboutdamntime.com slash merch. Check out different sizes. Um, and, yeah, get your full life. Get your life in order. Okay? All right. Enjoy this episode. Hello, Jennifer. Hi, Arlen. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. It's so good to be with you. You too. How about you say your full name and your occupation? Yeah. So I'm Jennifer Neundorfer, and I'm the co-founder and general partner at January Ventures. Awesome. And 
is your last name what is your last name where, where does it come from yeah so it is german it's actually my husband's last name um so if you were in germany it'd probably be something along the lines of neundorfer uh mm -hmm. nine villages but we go with noondorfer like 12 noon uh but it's definitely a conversation starter because yeah i bet it well, trips people up do you know that my, my wife is german as well what is her last name eichenauer so yeah that's yeah. it's in the same family <laughs> yeah that's so cool okay yeah but i wondered because i know that i was going to butcher it so it's jennifer noondorfer is how you Perfect. say it. Maybe Neundorfers is more German. Yeah. Cool. So January Ventures, let's let's kick off by by saying that um, full disclosure, um, I'm an LP in, in January Ventures. Um, as, you know, small LP kind of. I, I make these uh, smaller investments in, in other funds, about a dozen of them, um, and you all were probably the, in the first half of that. And uh, really enjoy what you what you all do there. And you had a name change, so let's yeah. start with um, the name January Ventures. Mm -hmm. Where does that name come come from, and then why the name change? Yeah. So at January, we are really focused on opening doors for who we believe will be the founders of the future, and much of our thesis is that the founders of the future are just going to be fundamentally different from the founders of the past. Um, and so our goal is to you know, build a venture fund from the ground up that differentially serves those founders. And when we think about the name, you know, it's both this idea of opening doors, right? January is the door into the new year, but it's also about establishing new patterns. So, you know, this whole idea of the pattern and archetype of what a great entrepreneur is, you know, will be is really changing. And so we think of it as, you know, like any investor, we're investing in outliers, but we believe that the founders in our portfolio are those outliers that are establishing a new, a new pattern. To that end, what types of companies do you tend to invest in? Um, because I know that we have in addition to being an LP, so I have exposure to all of the companies, which is the whole point. We also have co-investments. Co um, we mm -hmm. have the same taste a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, we have three that I could see on your site, which were Edlift, uh, Planet Forward, and Blendor, which were yeah. all by Black women. Um, you know, let's talk, let's start by talking about just what you're looking for um, thesis-wise. And then let's yeah. talk about how you're able to uh, somehow, somewhere, find all these black women to invest in. I, you know, I've been told they don't exist. So where do you find them? Yeah. So, so where to start there? So, you know, we like from a thesis perspective, we invest in structural inefficiencies that that we think are going to generate huge returns. And so, that's focused on the pre-seed and seed stage, where we believe there's a lot of value to be created. Um, rising tech hubs and sort of emerging geographies. Our portfolio has a lot of geographic distribution. It's not just concentrated in the Bay Area. Um, and then women and other underrepresented founders. Um, within that, we mostly invest on you know, the B2B side, all software companies. We look a lot at the future of work, productivity, and health. Those are some spaces where, where we get really excited. And you know, your, your point about where to find founders, um, we got that question a lot when we went out to raise our first fund. You know, are there enough women to fill a fund and, you know, to invest in? And are you going to see great founders? And I think, you know, frankly, what 
two years later, we're able to say really confidently is there is no shortage of amazing female and underrepresented founders. You could have, you know, we don't feel competition from other funds that are focused on the same place because there's just so much talent and so many amazing founders. And, you know, in my experience, it, I don't think funds or GPs can expect that those founders are going to find them. It's all about going out and proactively finding those founders and building the right relationships and making sure that as a fund, our light is re really clearly on for those founders. Because I think a lot of the people that say, I don't know where to find women, I don't know where to find black women or black men or whoever, they're just not actually going out and looking for them or it's very clear that they're not open to meeting them in the first place. Mm -hmm. And there's some self-selection there. And a lot of people will be hearing this only and seeing, hearing the audio. So just for clarification, uh, you identify as a white woman, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and somehow we're able to, was able to find it. And, and it's just, I say that so tongue in cheek because it's, I'm just hear this, you know, my life's work is, is investing in underrepresented, underestimated founders yeah. and still have to face that question in 2020. Are there, I can't, I don't know where they're, where they are, where do they, where do they hang out? You know, and it's just like yeah. everywhere. But to your point, part of it, what a really quick way and you know it's, this is not to shame anybody this is to help people find you know ways to yeah. start making those investments um a quick way is to just broaden your the proximity you know mm -hmm. especially in the days of covid because yeah. we're no longer forced to jump to use an excuse that we can't jump on a plane and and invest outside what have you found has been um your experience the last six months or so when it comes to investing are you investing more less has it not changed anything? Yeah. So you know, I, I think when COVID hit in March, we did take a brief pause, but mostly because we spent the first four weeks talking to our existing portfolio and communicating with RLPs. You know, it was, I think for most GPs, it was a time where there was a lot of communication and just making sure that there was transparency around what was happening. Um, and we really wanted to make ourselves available to our our portfolio. Then, you know, our focus was, let's actually go out and listen to our founders and our community. And so we did a survey really early on, um, beginning of April to see how people were feeling. And, you know, one of the couple interesting findings, one, half of the companies felt like COVID would negatively impact their business, but half of them had already pivoted and were finding new opportunities. And I think that speaks to just the amazing resilience and nimbleness of early stage companies. Um, and so seeing founders find new opportunities. But then what was concerning for us was, you know, of the founders we surveyed, 80% um, of them were raising capital, but 70% of them were worried about capital drying up. And so it just, there was this huge mismatch, right, of, of companies that really needed capital in that moment, um, but were getting closed doors from investors. And so one of the things that we did was um, we've always been open to cold pitches, right? Like two of our values are accessibility and transparency and any founder can pitch us in two minutes, but we opened that up to include a whole broad group of investors. So we have been doing these series of events that we call pitch collective, where we invite, you know, the founders that are cold pitching us to not only pitch us, but pitch seven to 10 other investors. And again, it's for us, it's all about removing friction for these founders um, 
we can do it really well in helping remove friction on the fundraising side. There's other places where, you know, we may not be able to remove all the friction, but if we can help remove some of that friction so that it is easier for them to secure capital and scale our businesses, then we feel like we've done our jobs. And how do people sign up to that? Is that, is that you know, because it is a wonderful opportunity. Yeah. Uh, we love to do it backstage uh, investor weeks and, and open that up. But it's yeah. a big undertaking. It's not the easiest thing to do. So how do people sign up if they can? Yeah. And, and what is, talk a little bit about the process internally. Yeah. So if you go to our site, january.ventures, um, you'll see a tab right at the top that says pitch us. And what we, what we did early on was really automate the top of the funnel so that we could respond, you know, review and respond to all of the pitches that we were seeing. Um, when we launched in 2018, we saw 400 pitches in a week and you know, realized that we needed to have some system that made it more efficient. And so when founders go to our site and click on that link, they will get a type form um, where they share easy to, you know, just some high level information about their business. The whole type form takes less than two minutes to fill out. And then we review it on our end. And, you know, we commit to reviewing all of the pitches. Some of them aren't a fit and, you know, it doesn't make sense for us to waste the founder's time to meet with them. Um, but we do respond and we try to provide some guidance or some other resources or send them to investors that we think might be helpful. And then we're really generous with a 30 minute intro meeting, right? It's, you know, that's where we want to be in the position to meet founders first. Frankly, what we don't want to do is just have our deal flow get filtered through other people because then it's someone else's judgment on whether, you know, this is a founder that, that can do it. So anyways, that's the process. We respond usually within two weeks and we go from there. That sounds awesome. I, I we started, uh, we have, we have an application process. So we started um, a, a new round of applications in like late June, Mm -hmm. where you could either just app apply straight out or do uh, office hours. And we are at like 962 or something applications yeah. outside of just our regular deal flow. And yeah. so it's just, you know, thankfully we have someone like Brittany and, and, and Christy and Chacho on the team who are really good at these big numbers because uh, this happens. But it, I don't know if people quite get how much you would be taking on to say, hey, we may not be able yeah. to invest in you, but we do want to make sure that you get seen and you have a fighting chance, which is yeah. really cool. Um, well, and, and actually, Arlen, to that point, like when we first said that we would take cold pitches, right? And when we were first raising our fund and we were talking to a lot of other GPs, um, we got a lot of negative feedback. Like you won't be able to do that. Don't even open yourself up to do that. It's not a good use of time. And you know, I think what I strongly believe is, is that that is, it's a great use of our time, right? It takes a lot of it, but it really helps us live our brand and venture is not going to change unless we make it more accessible. Um, not everyone has a network to get a warm intro. And so, you know, that I think is a really important part of, of my job is to make sure that I am being accessible and making myself accessible to whoever wants to reach me. Mm -hmm. And you have a, a one GP partner or is it, is it more? Two. Yeah. So my partner, Maren, uh, she is in Amsterdam. We invest across the U.S. and Europe. So it's yeah. the two of us and a team, uh, primarily venture fellows. Um, we're a lean team, but, uh, you know, it, operate lean, but are excited to have, you know, to provide opportunities for people who want to get into venture to come and work with us so that they develop, you know, their own track record and their own skills. 
So if there's a founder listening who is interested in, they, they're, they're liking what they're hearing and they want to learn more, do a, just a bullet point of like that sweet spot for you. What's in your wheelhouse? Who's going to catch your attention? Yeah. So someone that said, you know, either just about to start or at the pre-seed and seed stage, working on high growth software business, primarily, you know, B2B, that is within future of work, productivity or health. That's what we'll look at. You can be anywhere um, in the US or Europe and we'd love to meet you. Do you invest only in women or do you invest across the board? Yeah, so we, we will invest in men. And you know, one of the reasons that we, we realized our old name, Jane, was somewhat misleading because we have many co-founders where it's a male, female co-founding team. And so you know, when we would get questions about what do you do if one of your companies hires a man, we realized that you know, the, the name may be misleading. Um, so we do invest in, in female founders, in male founders, female male co-founding teams, but are really focused on founders who have been underestimated um, and you know, again, plugging them into the more traditional venture system. Do you, do you tend to invest kind of equally in the US and, and, and outside of it? Because I know many of the listeners will be outside of the United States and yeah. Europe. So it's generally about 70-30 between the US and Europe. Um, but you know, of our, of, our, of our second fund, we are looking, you know, our first two investments I think will likely be in Europe. Okay, great. So what is, what is the outlook like for January Ventures? I mean, it, it, you know, let's paint that picture of where you are in, your, in, in January's lifespan and mm -hmm. where you go next. Yeah, it's a great question and one that we have spent a lot of time thinking about recently. You know, I think we've proven that we have a brand that really resonates and a, and a you know, portfolio model that really resonates. Um, and we are supporting our founders, right? The things that our founders say about us give us a lot of faith in our model. So you know, to liken it to a startup, I feel like we're at product market fit. And now it is time for us to really scale that, that infrastructure and that impact, um, leaning into the pieces that we've seen work and launching new things and, and you know, testing and iterating to figure out how to really scale that model. And you know, I think what, is, what we're hearing a lot of in the market is that you know, uh, th there's a real need for funds like ours or funds like yours like, to, to grow and scale, right? And that if there can be more capital in the hands of a diverse set of GPs, that that will lead to a much more diverse set of founders getting funded. And you know, I think the, the jury's still out about how LP capital will really follow that talk. Um, and so you know, that, that I think is, is the challenge on the horizon for us is to figure out how to really grow and scale because I know that what we're doing is working and I'm I know that the founders that we are funding are going to build huge companies. And now we wanna have more resources to be able to invest in more founders and write bigger checks into those founders um, and really catapult them, because frankly, this, our founders are what this is all about, catapult them um, into the forefront. You know, you, you all remind me of uh, maybe a step before a, um, maybe a fund or two behind a Rethink Impact, which is Ginny mm. and Heidi, yeah. um, or a Renegade, which is um, um, Renata and Roseanne. Um, 
you know, it's two or three partners and starting off small, but having very, like, really a high conviction in what others aren't seeing. And, and all four of them came from larger funds, you know, came from other places. Um, so, so I do see a, a bright future for you. And, and that's, you know, part of why I'm, I'm making that bet, you know, in, in not just for this fund, but for the future funds. That's what I'm yeah. hoping for. What was your background before you started January? Yeah, so I actually have sort of a non-traditional background for venture. Um, I didn't set out to become a venture capitalist, although Interestingly enough, my first internship was, was with a female venture capitalist. It was the summer of 2000. She happened to be my neighbor. Um, and if you think about it, like in 2000, a female GP who had raised her own fund, um, she was one of, she was a needle in a haystack, right? And so actually got really, like in retrospect, was really lucky that somewhere in my mind, I knew that that was a viable option. Um, but, you know, I started my career on the operating side in the digital media world. I built businesses at, you know, YouTube and 21st Century Fox and always thought I would stay on the operating side. But life gets serendipitous in some ways that you can never predict. And so I actually took a very non-traditional turn and moved from California to the Midwest and to Cleveland, Ohio. People thought I was crazy. You know, it was what are you doing? You're throwing away your career. You know, everyone moves from the Midwest to the West Coast. But Arlen, what was so interesting was when I got to the Midwest and I moved there for personal reasons, I realized that there were phenomenal founders building huge businesses everywhere, right? And no one from the coast was looking at them. So this was 2011. It was before Steve Case and Rise of the Rest. It was before Mark and Chris launched Drive Capital. So no one, you know, there were funds there but the coast wasn't paying attention and so felt like a huge arbitrage opportunity and what i quickly realized was there were funds but there wasn't a lot of support for the founder at the earliest stage right they have an idea they're trying to figure out how to make it into a reality and so i took what i knew from building companies you know in silicon valley and decided to launch an accelerator and and microfund to follow on and ran that for eight years, kind of cut my teeth on both investing and the mechanics of you know, making investments, modeling returns, um, and managing capital, but also really figured out how I, you know, that I love working with early stage founders at that, you know, those early inflection points. And um, you know, that's sort of a bug I couldn't get rid of. So you know, I think back to your, your question earlier of how do you find a non-traditional founder like getting out of the Bay Area really widened my aperture to so many different things, right? And it was new businesses. It was, you know, income inequality, racial inequality, stuff that, you know, is very obvious if you're living in it. But if you're in, you know, a bubble, you may not be exposed to it. And I think that, you know, really has helped me as an investor both identify interesting opportunities that may not seem obvious, but also, you know, kind of on the, the network side and being able to build relationships with a broad set of people. And what do you think about um, um, the, the zebra movement versus unicorn? Yeah. Unicorns, like uh, the push for the billion dollar exit um, or versus the idea of building a sustainable company that changes and, and makes the quality of life for your, for your founders and your employees, yeah. and customers and their families. 
just a bit better, right? And sustainable. Yeah. Uh, do you have any thoughts about that in general? And then, and then how do you kind of um, justify that at the fund with, I know so many LPs are yeah. just for those returns and it, sometimes they don't understand that having, you know, hundred percent of your, your portfolio do well is, is almost better than banking on 5% go crazy. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's such a good question and topic. I feel like I could talk for a while about, but first of all, I'm so glad that it's even a conversation. Like the fact that there is a word for these types of companies and that people are actually debating the, the role for the zebra company, I think is so important. Um, one of the pieces of advice or the conversations that I have with founders, whether we're investing or not, is like, what is their personal outcome? Like, what do they want to have happen personally? Um, and, you know, to your point, like a venture, you know, sort of shooting for unicorn status is such a binary outcome. Um, and there, there are really wonderful outcomes and there's a whole sort of array of them that happen if you're building a sustainable business and you actually own a huge percentage of that. And so I think for founders, like aligning their incentives with the incentives of their capital is so important. And look, I think you know, many more funds in the Midwest are constructed in a way where a portfolio of more of those zebra companies produces great returns. And so I think like, from our perspective, it all comes back to portfolio construction and like the, the unicorn model works if you are hitting the biggest unicorns because the rest of the portfolio is gonna go to zero. And so, you know, I think there is room for in a fund, some of those zebras and some of those more binary bets. And like for us, it just comes down to how we model it. But from a founder perspective, I think it's a really essential question and not every, founder should be aiming to shoot, aiming to start a, you know, billion dollar company. Um, Cause the trade-offs are, are significant. And I think, you know, everyone needs to be eyes wide open going on that track. Let's say you're one of the 80% that I, I have kind of, you know, predict projected is the number of companies that don't necessarily need to be looking at venture. And I mean, 80%, not generally, but the ones that we see. Yeah. Um, you're, and maybe you're hearing it for the first time in this conversation or you've been hearing buzzing about it and you understand now, I, I probably shouldn't be chasing down investors, uh, especially VC investors. I think the next question is for that person, it, like advocating for the listener right now, could be, like, but what do I do then? Yeah. Because maybe I don't need $10 million in venture capital, but maybe I feel like I do need 10,000 or 50,000 yeah. to, to do this thing and, and make six figures a year or so. What, what, what's yeah. that next step do you think? It's, I am so glad you asked it because it is a hard question to, it's a hard nut to crack um, because for a lot of these businesses, a bank won't loan 10 to 20 grand because maybe it's a software business and there's no hard assets. and. You know, so I think it is quite hard. And, you know, one path that we have seen a lot of companies do, you know, if they're sort of decide they're not going to take venture to start is to get non-dilutive funding. And so, you know, I think there are a lot of grant programs that are out there or SBIR loans. You know, the caveat there is many of those applications are quite onerous and can take a lot of time. So I think founders need to, 
get some input from people who have applied to them before and see which ones are really worth the time. I can name a few where you apply, you know, you have to apply six times before they'll actually look at your application, which isn't worth anyone's time versus ones where they're really good about deploying capital in a, in a rapid manner. Um, the other thing that I think is, is interesting and, you know, it might not be for the first 10,000, right? It might be for, you know, there's a bit like a couple thousand, a couple tens of thousands in, and it's for the first a hundred thousand, um, are some of the revenue-based financing options. So the idea is that rather than investors getting their payout when a company goes public or has, has an, uh, an equity transaction, the, the investors actually get money back. They, they, they are paid back out of the company's revenue. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a nice instrument because it, it is 100% aligning incentives. You know, it's, it's all about let's go out and generate revenue. Um, and usually the payment terms are such that, you know, Everyone has an incentive for the company to stay in business, so they're not terribly onerous. And I would like to see more of that as an option because I think that allows such a broader range of companies to get outside financing if you know friends and family are not an option, which for most founders, that's not a path. That's right. We had an episode a few months ago with someone who, who does factoring, essentially. They have a factoring mm. fund. Uh, which is a little bit, it's, it's, it's shorter term loan turnaround and it's more expensive, you know, capital, but it's still not dilutive. It's still friendly and it's, it's based on your purchase orders. So yeah. there's that, you know, and if anybody's interested, go back and listen to that episode. There's that. And then there's the kind of angel investor or the, the, the propped up fund that does this for, uh, as their business model that is there to, you know, venture LPs have to think about a seven to 10, maybe 12 year horizon for their liquidity. And these funds that you're talking about are these people you're talking about like the diversity of something that has two to three years kind of yeah. range for them. Um, even if it might not be that unicorn that gives them the 50 X, 100 X, 1000 X, everybody's chasing, but no, only a very few people actually get yeah. And let's be clear, 65% or around 65%, so two thirds of venture funds, one X or less. And that is just a fact, you know? And yeah. so yeah. Um, it, it's rarefied air if you can, if you can make the, the one or two unicorns happen that return your fund yeah. more. So I really do like for myself and for others, I just love this, like things that are more sustainable, just more interesting. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Well, and I also think like angels is a great suggestion because angels have so much more latitude with which to invest. And depending on what business someone is building, they may be able to find an angel who just really loves that type of business. And, you know, I think angels can invest based on an emotional reason or interest or, you know, the best type of angel, like deep expertise where they can also help you. But it's a broader range of things that get an angel excited um, and often their decision-making process can be a lot faster. Yeah, absolutely. As we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to make sure that uh, our listeners know about uh, when it comes to January ventures or anything else that you're working on? Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the things that we, we firmly believe in and I, you know, I want to sort of reiterate is, 
why we are investing in diverse, you know, diverse companies and diverse founders. And, you know, I, I don't need to convince you, Arlen, right? But, you know, the data is clear, both that diverse teams have better outcomes, um, but also this country is going to be a minority majority country in, you know, depending on what estimate, like in 20 years, if not sooner. And so if we as an industry don't invest in, you know, founders that reflect the diversity of our country, we're just leaving a lot of value on the table. And, you know, I think what's interesting about venture is venture invests in, in innovation, right? But actually as an industry, it has not been very innovative. And so, you know, I am excited to see things like the rolling fund product or, you know, the proliferation of syndicates that are allowing a broader group of investors to develop their track record um, and hopefully, you know, become the next GPs of the future. But, you know, also look forward to seeing sort of that trickle down effect, not only to founders, um, but also seeing what, you know, how we as an industry can be as innovative as the companies that we are investing in. I couldn't agree more. Uh, absolutely. In fact, earlier this morning, I, I said the first half of what you said to someone like <laughs> on a live event. So I, I could not agree more. And I'm so grateful that there are so many uh, interesting and like risk-taking, innovative GPs, general partners of funds who are out there doing things, even when it's difficult, even yeah. when it's not, you know, raining money because people just haven't caught up yet, but they will. And, and um, the people who have been on the ground the longest are going to be the ones who see that first when that, when yeah. they comes in. Well, and, you know, in the moments when it feels difficult for us, like at the end of the day, the most difficult is the founder, you know, what the founders are doing to build their business um, is a much bigger lift. And so, you know, we, we are empathetic with that. And I think that's, that for me is the motivation in the moments when it's hard. It's like, yeah, we, we are doing this for our founders and future founders. Um, and, you know, we'll, I, I feel like we will have done our jobs when the founders that we invest in are the brand names that, you know, young, like young kids, they can identify Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates, right? But once they're talking about Julia or Erica or Tristan, like that's when we will have done our job. Um, so I'm excited for that day. I am as well. And it's been so great talking to you. Um, I really appreciate your time and uh, look forward to everything that you have on the horizon. How do people get in touch with you? If are yeah. find you on social? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn at JKK. Um, and they can, people can email me, Jennifer at January Ventures. We're not trying to hide. We're, you know, right out there. Um, and I look forward to hearing from your listeners, um, both with any feedback they have, but also we want to hear about your businesses. Fantastic. I love it. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, uh, Arlen. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you another time. Thank you. I appreciate all of your support.